welcome you to this Disney at Play podcast and are grateful that you could join us during this uh, holiday season. We did, a lot of podcasters sometimes take a break during this period of time, but I find in wanting to listen to podcasts, there's very little to choose from. And so I wanted to make sure that there was some kind of holiday podcast and something I put up during the during the Christmas season. And so this podcast is uh, my way of celebrating the holidays. In a way, it's a gift to my children and to my family. Um, I want to share today three Disney stories, three experiences that uh, tie to Christmas and Disney and, and uh, the fun of the holidays. And I wanted to share those for the memory of my family and my children. But all of you are like family to me, so if you'll indulge me and a little bit of, uh, of uh, sharing, I'd like to just bring to you some stories of holiday moments that really stand out, a la Disney. And so, I present a look at Disney and Christmas as celebrated by our family. My first story begins in the summer of 1972, that was kind of the moment where Disneyland took on a presence that I just had never imagined before. Prior, I had uh, encountered the magazine, uh, the National Geographic, which had uh, a big, beautiful article called The Magical Worlds of Walt Disney. This fascinated me, and it gave me a yearning to go to Disneyland, which my parents allowed me to do. We grew up in Phoenix, and that summer of 72, we went to Disneyland. That same summer was the summer that the uh, Main Street Electrical Parade opened for the first time. It was also the moment when Bear Country... Uh, opened uh, outside of New Orleans and Frontierland, and it included uh, the premiere of the Country Bear Jamboree. So there were some really cool new attractions. I think it was the first time actually that summer that I ever went on the Haunted Mansion, and I ended up getting the LP, which includes Ron Howard uh, on a date and uh, ending up uh, with the car breaking down and going through the Haunted Mansion. And this just a, it was a time of my life where here I was, um, an 11-year-old, and this thing called Disneyland was unfolding. That said, there were not a lot of places you could go to. There was no internet back then, and there were even very few books. Um, I did find another book in the library called Walt Disney, Magician of the Movies, uh, which was written by Bob Thomas. It was a predecessor uh, to his later uh, official biography of Walt Disney, Walt Disney and American Original. But that would come out uh, several years later, I believe in 77, 78 or so. Um, but uh, up until then, there wasn't a lot to read. And uh, there hadn't been anything really very adult to really focus in on. Well, during the same time, there was a new mall being built uh, not very far from the playground where I would enjoy the lunch hour growing up at Royal Palm Elementary School in Phoenix, Arizona. This mall was a mega mall for its time. It was known as Metro Center. And I saw this thing kind of coming out up out of the ground. And it was a very exciting time. And it opened officially in October of uh, 
1973. And so I, I went over there and they had decorated it just during that time for the holidays. Lo and behold, when I went into the main space of the mall, all of the holiday decorations for Christmas were done a la Disney. In fact, in front of the Diamond Department Store, there was this big, beautiful castle. Um, and there were all these other elements of Disney throughout the entire mall. It was enchanting. And the mall was big and beautiful and new. It had a skating rink. It had a movie theater. This was new stuff back in the 1970s. And, uh, and it was pretty exciting. I would spend hours going through the mall. And in the process, I came across a book. And that book was entitled The Art of Walt Disney. It was penned by Christopher Finch, and it was mammoth in size. And I say mammoth in size because, uh, well, it was uh, near, nearly 450 pages. 450 pages of illustrations and text and diagrams. Four chapters at the end, not nearly enough, but four amazing chapters focused on the theme parks. Oh my goodness, uh, it took my breath away. I tried to leaf through as much of it standing there without looking too obvious as a little kid at the uh, Broadway department store. I went home to my parents and I asked them if I could by any chance have for Christmas a copy of Christopher Finch's Art of Walt Disney. This kind of took them back for two reasons. First, the price of this book in 1970 terms, as I recall, was $55. That was a heap of a lot of money in 70s terms. And, uh, and that was pretty much blowing the entire budget that would be spent on my Christmas plus, plus, plus. Um, the second reason why they were a little concerned is because a few years prior, I had asked for a bike. And I didn't understand at that earlier age, I probably was like eight or so, and I didn't understand that a bike was a pretty expensive thing back then too. Actually, in some ways, probably more expensive than they are now in relative terms. But um, so that's Christmas. I had gotten nothing but a bike and maybe a Spirograph set and some minor things. I was disappointed. I liked the bike, but I was so disappointed because as an eight-year-old, you know, you kind of measure quality by quantity. It's, it's not just how good the gift is, but how many of them you get. And so, so here comes this 11-year-old to his parents and saying, is there any way, any way I could have this book of Christopher Finch on the art of Walt Disney for Christmas? Hmm. Well, to my joy and surprise, that Christmas, I got a copy of that book. And I think um, a pair of underwear. <laughs> there wasn't anything else that I got that season, but it did not matter. I, I went through this book in all of its details. And I got to tell you, my favorite chapters were the Disney parks. It talked about how Disneyland had initially been built. It showed images 
of the brand new Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom, which had just opened. It had pages which introduced the idea of windows on Main Street, as well as themed trash cans. These concepts weren't even discussed way back then, but it, it went into those kinds of details. Then in chapter 16, it went into a focused uh, look at audio animatronics. I could see a picture of the Mickey Mouse review for the Magic Kingdom in under construction being being programmed uh, for the show. I could see pictures of the Hall of Presidents, the service basement below, not far from that attraction, and and naked bears from the Country Bear Jamboree. Stripped of any fur, you see their plastic bodies and the mechanical parts underneath, they were fascinating. They were amazing. And then they got into the details of attractions like the Haunted Mansion and how that was built. They looked at the detailing and theming that was done on attractions like New Orleans Square and the Crystal Palace and Liberty Square. Then in the final chapter, they included an article published in the 1972 issue of Architectural Forum called The Lessons of the Parks. It was written by Peter Blake, and it, it outlined the concept that these parks, particularly Walt Disney World, were setting the tone for the future, and that new and exciting concepts and ideas were being tested and tried, and that eventually it would all lead to something of a new community called Epcot. And in fact, after you see images of monorails going through the contemporary and people movers, they get to actual images of, of Epcot, both Lake Buena Vista and then um, kind of a cross-section of a multi-urban center that was initially thought through for, um, for the experimental city Epcot. I'll try to include an image of that in the book. And I was fascinated, thinking, wow, wouldn't that be a place to visit? Wouldn't that be a place to live? I wanted so badly to go to Walt Disney World, but oh my goodness, <laughs> in in pre, um, well, oil prices and, and, um, and, and the cost of buying a ticket to fly to Walt Disney World seemed prohibitive back then. So I was pretty much set with just visiting uh, Disneyland for several years, and I was grateful and appreciative of that. But going through the story, I just had to share, this was one of the most memorable Christmases when my parents gave me this book. It still sits on my shelf today. I have many, many shelves and uh, dedicated to Disney books and many online, um, but this one sits uh, first and foremost on my shelf. And it, um, it still brings an emotional moment to think of uh, the excitement of a little boy and the possibilities of Disney and the sacrifice of parents give their kids something that really meant a lot to him. My second story brings me to a time just after we were married in 1984. 
we still had not even visited Walt Disney World. In fact, um, uh, when we got married, we hadn't even been to Disneyland. The thought of taking a honeymoon at Disneyland seemed like a weird idea back in the 1980s. And I didn't even hit my wife up on that idea. We ended up uh, honeymooning in eastern Arizona up in the mountains. And that was lovely. But, um, but we got married and we were like many young couples. We were both finishing our bachelor's degrees and we had very little money back then. When Christmas, our first Christmas came around, I had thought what I would do, and I thought it was a fairly innovative and inexpensive idea, was to cut styrofoam into squares and then wrap them as little gifts to hang on a tree. The, the effect was nice and it allowed us to have ornaments on the tree, but, but mind you, it was nothing too memorable. The following year, we got out the same ornaments and reused them. They held, but uh, they looked a little disappointing. The summer following that and into the fall, I had an internship in Los Angeles with Southern California Edison. It meant being away from my wife and child as she was teaching school back, uh, back in Utah. I missed her dearly. I spent my Saturdays at Disneyland. Well, maybe I didn't miss her so much on Saturdays, but I did miss her the rest of the week. I'd gotten an annual pass that I'd saved for, but and, and I enjoyed going to the park. This is the first time I'd ever had an annual pass. I have to say it was not much more than about $75. Um, and I enjoyed going to the parks on Saturdays. And every couple of weeks, she came out and we'd go to the park together. But the rest of the week was fairly quiet and I knew really no one in the area. And so I was kind of pretty much alone. The park closed early back then on weekdays, so I couldn't really visit during the week. But when I needed just a little Disney fix, I would visit the Disneyland Hotel and browse through the shops. Now this was before all the changes that came to Disney California and downtown Disney and so forth. There was a whole front section to the Disneyland Hotel around the monorail beam where there were a bunch of stores attached to the Disneyland Hotel itself. And the main store sold a wide variety of Christmas ornaments for what seems like nothing compared to prices today. I mean, some of these ornaments were about $250, $275. Others went way up to close to $5. But then again, even though they were fairly inexpensive compared to ornaments today, I didn't have a lot of money. Still, I saved a little money and I would visit one night a week where I would purchase one or two ornaments plus a bag of toffee-flavored peanuts. I got to do another article later on about the fact that Disney and the candy stores, both at the hotel and on Main Street, they always sold toffee-flavored peanuts in bulk. And that was like my favorite thing from the confectionery. But anyway, during these four months, stay, I had amassed a collection of ornaments that would fill a regular sized tree with a few bows and lights added for, for good light, for good luck. Um, that said, there were still a few empty moments left for the rest of the week. My accommodation was a simple bungalow in Fullerton. I went to work early and then I sometimes would go surfing right afterwards. After that, I'd go to my hotel room and sit and do nothing but watch TV. This is the days before there was no laptop or internet. I, I decided I needed something more to surprise my wife at Christmas. Harkening back a couple of years, when we first married, uh, uh, during our honeymoon, no less, we went to a, um, 
Mother's Day was just right around the corner from our honeymoon, and my wife had decided to do some cross-stitchings for both her mother and mine. She invited me to help her, which I frankly had little interest. But she noted that the quicker we moved on them, the more one-on-one time we would enjoy on our honeymoon. You can see who's in charge here. I I gave in and learned something about cross-stitch at the time. So when I thought about how to occupy my time during my internship, I noted a cross-stitch book that was sold at the Disneyland Hotel. I bought it along with the necessary thread and started to cross-stitch ornaments. I made five of them. Chip and Dale, Pinocchio, Donald, Thumper, and Dumbo. And then I took on a full-blown Mickey Santa, big enough to frame, well, a smaller frame. Did I mention having time on my hands? (laughs) And does the combination of surfing and cross-stitching make me a renaissance man? I just want to know. Any rate, all that said and done, late fall, I returned to my wife and daughter. Soon the day arrived to put up the Christmas tree. We bought a tree, put it up next to the fireplace in our little apartment and hung our lights. Then I got out our old Christmas decorations, the boxes of styrofoam wrapped in gift paper. I started complaining how old these ornaments looked. She gently reminded me that there was no budget for something better. So I started to smash the styrofoam gift boxes. My wife just stared at me incredulously. Then I got up and brought in a large box. Its contents were little ornaments, each individually wrapped in Disney Christmas paper. My wife opened each one, including those I had cross-stitched for. It was a great romantic moment of our marriage. We've since purchased the fancy ornaments that hang on our tree in the living room. And I haven't done any cross-stitch since that in over 35 years. But the tree that means most to me and the decorations on that tree that mean most to me are decorated with ornaments from that first year I had purchased and handcrafted those ornaments. And with that, I had the five um, cross-stitched characters of Pinocchio, Thumper, and so forth, they now hang on a very special wreath close to our front door. I look at them and I remember that surprise day when I pulled them all out for my wife, along with the other ornaments I had individually purchased in preparation for Christmas. That was a special Christmas, and those ornaments have helped us remember how special Christmas is every year. My first two stories took place out west. My third story is actually the first Christmas we spent in Orlando, Florida. I had gotten a job with uh, a water park that was very close to Walt Disney World. It was called Watermania, and I was the director of operations uh, for that water park. That title, director of operations, simply means that I'm in charge of running the park when nobody else is there. And that's pretty much what happened. I ended up getting all the lousy shifts, and that shift included working on Thanksgiving Day. Um, Watermania back then actually ran year-round one of the very few water parks that did, and um, and so it was my job to run the uh, water park that day. I did manage to get off about 2.30 and return back to our home. 
Um, it was a modest home, and uh, we had made some sacrifices to come out to Florida, so we didn't have a lot going for us. But the real challenge was is that this was going to be one of our first Christmases where we really had no extended family with us. It was just my wife and I and our three little children. And um, I came home. My wife had um, worked intently throughout the day to um, create a Thanksgiving dinner. We decided that that year, since we were in Florida as opposed to elsewhere, we would do something a little different. So instead of a turkey that year, we decided we would have crab legs. And that was kind of interesting. And uh, so we sat down at the table. I think we had a table back then. I'm not even sure we had that. Yeah, we had a table. And we sat down at the table at about 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon for Thanksgiving dinner. And it was a quiet, humble little experience. And then about a half hour, 45 minutes later, we were done. I, I started on the dishes and, uh, and uh, my wife, Kath, helped me and, and, uh, and then we were done with those. And there really wasn't anything else to do. I could see the tears um, welling up in my, my wife's eyes. Um, it was a big sacrifice to come to the other side of the country to take on a job in this part of the world. And she was missing her family. And uh, we didn't have a lot of Facebook social media to interact with. We made phone calls. Even that was a little expensive back then. We didn't know what to do with the rest of our Thanksgiving day. It came to my mind that maybe we ought to go over to the Walt Disney World Village. Now, this was before Downtown Disney and consequently way before Disney Springs. It was just that little section. There was Pleasure Island, but that was back when Pleasure Island was more adult and you really didn't um, bring your children around to that part of the facility. But we did come over to the Walt Disney World Village. And by the way, just to also set the stage for this, this is the before parking lots and before there was asphalt, there was actually just dirt with mulch on it. That's how way back I remember the Walt Disney World Village. We found a parking space and we went over to the village and sure enough, there were Christmas lights all over the village with a beautiful Christmas tree in the middle. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, duh, yeah, they do that all the time, right? You know, like the day or the minute and a half after Halloween is over, right? Well, back then, in the early 90s, they didn't. They really waited until about December um, or around Thanksgiving to decorate. So, so this was the first those decorations were out. And um, for us, seeing the decorations and feeling the glow of the holidays around us um, brought us joy on that Thanksgiving day. And we, we were able to feel like there was some celebration to enjoy and something to, uh, to do. And since then, many, many years have passed, and there isn't a Thanksgiving holiday prior to Christmas or 
where we don't end up for many years, um, we would go on Thanksgiving Day to see the Disney films that came out. Um, that summer was was Lion King, but after that, um, and a Christmas that followed came Pocahontas, and then Hunchback, and Mulan, and Tarzan, and so forth. And every year we would go for Thanksgiving to see um, the the film that would come out from the studios, and then we would also um, enjoy spending getting into the holiday season at uh, what eventually would become downtown Disney and later Disney Springs. In fact, for us, a big memory back then was after we would go to the movies, we would go next door to the Virgin Megastore and there there'd be books and video games and records, well, I mean, you know, CDs back then. And uh, and it was just a a fun place for our family to hang out and many a Christmas gift was bought at Virgin Megastore after our kids made their uh, their Christmas list. But at any rate, you know, nowadays we've, we've been here 20, this is our 26th year uh, at Walt Disney World and living in Orlando and being part of this place. Christmas, again, begins for us a day or two after Halloween and extends until... A couple of weeks after uh, the new year, and uh, but we always are able to find the excitement of the holidays as we go and visit the parks. It might be uh, it might be Epcot with the beautiful candlelight processional. It might be the Magic Kingdom with the uh, very merry Christmas parade and and the lighting of the castle um, and all those sparkling lights. Uh, th- this year, it's it's been the new um, holiday decorations at Disney's Animal Kingdom and at the studios, the Osborne Festival lights, and now um, the the fanfare that takes place on Sunset Boulevard. I love the holiday decorations at Disney's Hollywood Studios. It gets me in the mood, as do all the parks and hotels. It's just a joyous time of the year, and for us, that's part of celebrating Christmas. Well, that concludes this little holiday podcast, and I just appreciate if you've been able to hang in there with me as I kind of reminisced on some stories that that mean something personal to me, maybe give you a little bit idea of who I am and of, uh, of your host on this podcast. I wish you the merriest of seasons and hope that you have a terrific holiday. Know that uh, before the end of the year, we will have one more podcast. In fact, we look forward to um, making a big announcement uh, to some of the things as we look back on this year and we look forward to next year. We're excited to kind of share with you a new project, new thing that's going to happen. So please uh, don't stay very far away. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and join us for our very last and uh, podcast of this year as we um, join in celebrating all things Disney, whether it's work or play. And as we say from Sinbad's uh, storybook voyage, uh, always remember, follow the compass of your heart. Have a joyous holiday season.